Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to NBC Sports Edge's DFS Building Block Show. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined by friend in life, Kyle Dvorak. We already discussed lessons learned from JT Week in larger field tournaments on Sunday night. That is still available on the NBC Sports Edge YouTube channel. But for now, a juicy three-game slate that we will go game by game for rather than talking about overarching ideas. We'll discuss those as we weave in and out between each game. Kyle. When you first looked at it already, what are your initial thoughts for the Thanksgiving three-game slate? I feel like this has happened every Thanksgiving for the past three or four years, but there are like two good quarterbacks on the slate, and they have clear top receivers, and that is going to be the most pop. Like, you know, it's so close to, so much closer to a slate than it is an actual main slate because there will be many duped lineups where you get pigeonholed into, well, if you play Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, and then Dawson Knox, you spend a lot of money. Let's say you play David Montgomery, and oh, Mark Ingram's a good value. You've built the same lineup as like 20% of the field or something like that. And it's really about trying to in just make a balancing act of building, you know, highly leveraged lineups that aren't completely drawing dead. Like is the Taysom Hill lineup drawing dead? I think so. I'm pretty sure it is. But like, it's definitely a thought that crossed my mind. Also, I first noticed when I stepped back that all the decisions to be made, like, yes, CeeDee Lamb's questionable, but just in practicing for a limited basis on Wednesday, we believe he's going to play, that all the questionable decisions are in the late game. So a three-game yes. late swap holiday slate, last of the night, you're already at your bars with your friends. That's my kind of slate. Here we are right now. It's the best kind of slate for sure. There's such an edge there. Not only are we watching, and we'll get this to this when we get in the game in depth about the players, but overall, not only are we watching Mark Ingram, who sounds like a true game time decision, Nick Underhill said if he had to guess right now, he leans that Mark Ingram is out. But again, true game time decision sounds like it's just knee swelling from a 31 year old who played 48 hours ago and has handled every single touch in his last two games. No big deal. Alvin Kamar, of course, already ruled out, but also... You can leave enough salary on the table, and you should, by the way, when you're making rules, when you're doing all these things for three-game slates, there are no rules in your optimizers. There are no rules when you're building lineups. As we always say, just keep ownership in mind, and you can have more accurate and a better chance to win if you can guess what everyone else, what the field's going to do more accurately. But also, if you leave enough salary on the table, you not only have the Tony Jones late swap potential, 
you have the Matt Breida or Devin Singletary late swap. Since I genuinely, if you told me to guess right now, I think Zach Moss is getting healthy scratched and he's going to be out of the picture. And they're just going to go with two backs instead and Singletary and Breida. So just interesting alternatives to keep in mind for the very last game. Having said that, I'll go ahead and pull up the DFS projections. Give me your first thoughts on the first game of the day, Lions and Bears. I don't want to say I want to play pieces of this game because it will be unpopular, but like that's kind of my thought. Is there there are a lot of interesting receiver options because the Lions essentially just trot out three receivers. You know, last week they had Amon Ross St. Brown, Khalif Raymond, and Josh Reynolds, who we have to add to the projections here, run all, I think, 70% plus routes. It was very clear they had this trio. They're not very good, but it also looks like Jared Goff should play in this game. So they should at least be competent in a way that they will not draw almost any ownership. I think Marquise Goodwin on the other side is really interesting over the past two games because he had a bye week two weeks ago. So over his past two games, one of which actually had Allen Robinson, he's seen over 200 air yards and that was split pretty evenly between his past two games. He's been getting more involved even when Allen Robinson was in his final healthy game. Now he's a complete starting receiver. The team at least gets an easy matchup, although it also is a matchup where you would project that they run the football a lot. But I think that provides a great leverage option off of David Montgomery, who looks like the kind of the obvious chalk running back. He's just underpriced. He's six, you know, we have him right here. He's 6,000 and he should be like almost as much as Zeke. He plays in a far more robust role within his offense than Zeke Elliott does. Zeke obviously just gets the benefit of playing on an offense that's actually good. But this game, I think only the running backs will be popular. I mean, it's a three game slate. So Andy Dalton will certainly draw some ownership, but I do think using like a Dalton stack as leverage off of as leverage off Dave Montgomery, saving yourself a lot of money, and then still loading up on bills. You can still play multiple bills receivers. If you have both Stephon Diggs and, say, Emmanuel Sanders or Dawson Knox go off, it's still possible that, say, Josh Allen doesn't get 300-yard bonus. He only outscores Andy Dalton by five or maybe even six points. The salary you save might just be in the same way showdown. You know, you don't always need the highest-scoring player in your captain because sometimes the salary of the second or third highest-scoring player is actually what's necessary to fit everyone. You could have Andy Dalton fit that bill. So I think there are a lot of ways to use this this game, especially because you'll acquire a lot of information on how your lineups and how the field did. There are a lot of interesting ways to use this game. I don't think the interesting way is to use David Montgomery, who as a medium projection is a great play. But I just think to me, there are a lot of really interesting uh, running back plays as we talked about in the late slate. Using David Montgomery fills up one of those spots immediately. And he's going to be, I would imagine, probably the most popular play of the slate. I am not sure. Maybe Stephon Diggs gets there with him. But his price is just, it's not the best. It's not a particularly good price on DraftKings. So he's too easy to fit in. He will be fit in by a lot of people. I think you're naturally getting a Cherian by eyeing this game. Like at least two players in this game. Don't think many people want to get there, especially since we assume CeeDee Lamb will be available. So you're okay. What is everyone else going to do? And to start the game, you already mentioned it. I think it's going to be, David Montgomery and DeAndre Swift over everyone else. You can paint a narrative as well saying, okay, well, if it's the Matt and Nagy firing game, then maybe like it's DeAndre Swift and Lions defense that gets you there. I do think Lions defense is a pretty good option, especially since we know likely everyone's going to go Cowboys and Bills heavy above all else. But overall, that's why I think not so much Darno Mooney. You mentioned Marquis Goodwin comes in as a sneaky play. The Lions receivers you can tinker with, but I would just try and wait to see who is talked about more between Khalif Raymond and Josh Reynolds? We did see Josh Reynolds lead them in routes run last week, but also we know that Goff has shown success with Khalif Raymond. So you're kind of mixing up the target share as well, despite the fact that 
Reynolds ran just four more routes than Raymond last week. And then also, I do wonder, do you have a guess on whether TJ Hawkinson or Schultz will be more played? Schultz is 100 more on DraftKings in particular. I'm guessing Schultz is going to be more played by the field. And if that's the case, I generally don't mind starting any slates with TJ Hawkinson in the tight end spot and then going from there. Because just leaving the flex open in particular for Bill Saints, we already talked about Brita, Tony Jones, but also like there's Dawson Knox potential there. And there are a couple of receivers you could pivot to as well. So starting with TJ Hawkins, who I think no one wants to play anyways. Like if it was a main slate, no one would play TJ Hawkins anyways. But I just think everyone's scared of his like one target, his non-success he had from Tim Boyle last week, that he sort of comes in under-rostered, honestly, even for a three-game slate. Yeah, he's I, I share that lean with you that Dalton Schultz is more popular, despite being slightly more expensive. I don't think it matters. People are going to flock to playing Dallas as opposed to playing TJ Hawkinson, who, as you said, I mean, he was fine last week, but we kind of have that zero-point game. My only concern with him, I mean, I think in theory it probably does, like it has to make sense, right? We've seen TJ Hawkinson blow up, but it is like, been a long time you know but he could have blown up at any point he has you know two games over 15 points over the past five or six weeks but none over 20 since week two like there are a ton of tight ends on this later at least i'd say five maybe maybe four or five that could actually blow up for 25 to maybe even 30 points if they find the end zone multiple times if you miss out on hawkinson because his offense is terrible or if you miss out on you know the points via hawkinson because his offense is terrible you probably already lost the day if waller or Knox or schultz go off or if commit went off in the same game but like the fact that he is probably the focal point of his team's passing attack and is going to be the fourth most popular tight end of the, the slate at most. Like, I, I can't imagine he is more popular than Dawson Knox coming off a 10 target game. Dalton Schultz playing for the second best offense of the slate, but a clear tier two, you know, two tiers or a tier of two teams, and no one else is close. And then Dermal, obviously, the best tight end play almost of any given week, main slate, not main slate. So he's fourth. I could even see Kmet being more popular than him, but. I really feel like you leave a lot of ceiling on the table. And I think that's a bad bias to bring. And I think playing Hawkinson is the right move. You think playing Hawkinson is the right move or it's bad to think playing Hawkinson is the right move? No, no, no. It, I am bringing a bad bias to the table of thinking he doesn't have a high ceiling because it hasn't happened oh, okay. in the past yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. eight games. No, no. And eight games is such a meaningless sample. He had 25 points in the opener. And I, like we still expect him to play a large role. And my argument also is that I don't think you can play Darren Waller and like large field stuff. I think you're yep. drawing it totally. because uh, yep. even if he gets hundred yards, like he's going to be 60, 70% roster. Like I think avoiding Darren Waller is the first thing we want to do when building lineups for this slate, you know, even in smaller fields, like I'm in a couple 500, 800 entries. I, I'm considering like, may, man, maybe I just jam Hawkinson in there instead and just try to get that touchdown equity. And if even I get like 12 points, then I can go to war and figure out like the extra 2K I've left over in late swapping away from Waller because I just don't think you can win with Waller tomorrow. So that's sort of where I'm at with the early slate. Cole Komet, Jimmy Graham, those guys are just like Juwan Johnson's, Nick Vanette's, all these players that these, you know, busto tight ends that everyone wants to get in because they're cheap. I don't mind, again, all the rules are out the window in a three-game slate. I gen- like I think two tight ends is a, a good strategy and flexing one. Now, I wouldn't build your lineup like that, but I'd be prepared, prepared to late swap into one. That's why I like starting T.G. Hawkinson, and then maybe I can use my flex where I have Matt Breida to go to Schultz if T.G. Hawkinson goes nuts or take the C.D. Lamb, even though we think we're going to play, take it down to the wire because... Even so, like if he's out, I still think 
that Cedric Wilson is a high floor. We'll get to that in a second. But overall, any way you would lean on the Bears receivers, are you definitively, given the salary and given what we think everyone else is going to do, are you definitively Goodwin over Mooney? Yeah, I think so. I do think Goodwin has like all of the trappings of one of the, I think there are two players that are quote sneaky that are going to be very popular. Tony Pollard in the next game, I think every DFS show is talking about Tony Pollard is the ideal pivot. You've never seen a better, better pivot. Goodwin gives me some of those vibes that he will be projected at, you know, 9% ownership or something. And at that you say like, oh, he saw hundred air yards and hundred actual yards last week. I'd love him. Then he comes in at 19 and you're like, this was a completely terrible play. I get that vibe from him. And more importantly, Tony Pollard, because we actually know who Tony Pollard is from season long. We don't with Goodwin. I don't think Goodwin is, because of that, I don't think Goodwin is nearly as likely to get steamed. But if he does push like 15 plus percent, I will look back and say he's a bad play. I do think it's more likely, though, that it ends up just being, especially in your large field, low dollar entry. Mooney's popular because he got 16 targets last week and he went over 100 yards. And he's not that expensive. And the slate doesn't have a ton of players to pay up for. And if sort of there's no leveling of the trying to play the ownership game and they know you want to play this guy and you know they know you don't want to play this guy, Goodwin comes in as a really good leverage play. My only concern is that he does kind of get talked up a bit. I think it's more likely that 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 bill fits like a Pollard, though. Do you have a lean if you don't play? We all know Josh Allen, Dak Prescott. Would Andy Dalton or Jared Goff, I can see the argument you'd probably make for Andy Dalton. Would Andy Dalton be in your like pool of players that you're going to play at quarterback over Dak and Allen. Yeah, I will play. I'll be playing Andy Dalton this week. And I, I even talked about him as like a pretty weak streaming option on the Tuesday preview show. But this is not streaming. This is six quarterbacks. One, Trevor Simeon. I'm not sure he played. Like they just gave Taysom Hill this goofy extension. I'm not 100% sure they even like play him for the full complement of snaps. I think we should see more Taysom Hill. I'm not playing committee quarterback, who's also terrible, Trevor Simeon. Per uh, Pat Crane, I'll, I'll be dropping a few Pat Crane stats. His his write up of these games was pretty good and very insightful. So check that out on the site. I will be dropping some stats from that. Throwing out garbage time. Trevor Simeon, second worst quarterback in EPA per dropbacks. He's he's not good. I don't I don't want. To, I'm not playing Jared Goff. You just can't convince me that playing Jared Goff is a good play. Dalton though was taking shots with reckless abandon to only two players last week, which makes it very easy to find some very high variance performances from him so i think because of that and because he works as perfect leverage off david montgomery who i said just think is probably the most popular play of the slate and the Lions' defense is terrible i believe bottom five in yards past attempt allowed to opponents they also like i said do get run on a lot but that's just because you can beat the Lions in whatever way you want i think there's i don't want to say equally but there is a very good chance that andy dalton goes up for a, a blow-up game because the Lions are terrible and he's not that bad in fact i think in terms of EPA per play. He is middle of the road. He's like 14th, whereas Justin Fields is actually worse than that, unfortunately. And he throws to like two guys now because they don't have Allen Robinson. I guess it was also true when they didn't have Allen Robinson. Komet, also interesting, probably the fourth or fifth most popular tight end. And I think if we don't get the 120 and touchdown from Darren Waller or a multi-touchdown week, Komet's four for 60 and no touchdowns could easily be just as good as Darren Waller's seven for 70 right because you just don't gain that much versus a salary so i think there are three stacking options that all make a lot of sense either in having good ranges of outcomes because goodwin and moody can just get a lot of targets downfield or commit because he's good leverage off of the other tight ends so i will probably i will be more over the field on andy dalton than any other quarterback i'd imagine interesting okay i think i still like starting with hawkinson and lions defense as a skinny stack over 
Montgomery, or not even, there's a correlated stack over Montgomery and DeAndre Swift. I think that's where the field will go automatically. But again, whatever you do, just remember that if you not play Swift and Montgomery, you're naturally contrarian because that's where everyone's flocking to in the first game. Anyone else you play, even Mooney, I would imagine, comes in under-rostered since everyone's just trying to get the running backs in this game. Anything else on this one before we move on? No, the least appealing outside of contrarian strategies, obviously, it's Jared Goff versus Andy Dalton. Yeah. Especially if, you know, they're run heavy yet again, it'd be Yeah, exactly. That's another terrifying. problem is neither of these teams, yeah, like they, they could, I like, I think Andy Dalton could do fine against the Lions defense. Good. The reason I'm not like going crazy for him, the reason I still won't, I'm not saying play him like straight up over Dak Prescott. I'm saying as a contrarian strategy, I like him. It's because the Lions defense is bad. They also give it up on the ground because they're the Lions. That's what they do. Well, if, if Josh Allen also, or Dak, you know, if they have 280, two touchdowns and 60 rushing yards as floor plays, Andy Dalton only needs like 180 and a couple touchdowns. And like, you know, you fall two points short, no big deal. Like you're just fine. And I exactly. Yeah, you're not that's playing. I'm looking at a lot. Of, you're not playing. Yeah, that's the way I'm looking at guys. a lot of these plays too. Like, you know, let's just dive into this one. The issue in Josh Jacobs is I think he gets steamed. Also, Josh Jacobs is a pretty good floor play. Like, and if all the running backs bust, and it's very easily possible, Mark Ingram knee issues gets activated, reaggravated, or just tired and, and splits a workload. Right. So then you have Tony Jones, Mark Ingram, uh, the Bills running back sharing Ezekiel Elliott at eight K. Everyone wants to play, but even then, just splitting the backfield touches and still doesn't get there. Maybe seventy yards and a touchdown. Like Josh Jacobs, the fact he's had sixteen targets the past three games now without Henry Ruggs, like. That's a floor on DraftKings that could easily match any other running back in this slate. So that's what's interesting. Nonetheless, we know what everyone's going to do. They're going to want to play Zeke, or maybe not even Zeke. They will have the salary to pay for Zeke because Stephon Diggs is the only receiver, like over 5,500, everyone's trying to pay up for. But they want to play Tony Pollard as well. Like you already mentioned, everyone's talking about Tony Pollard. It's not a secret. And of course, Dak in the passing game, even if CD's available, I still think everyone's going to play... Well, what do you think? Is everyone, even if CD's active, will they be worried about the concussion or will they play Gallup over CD? Or is it not even worth debating because they're both going to come in high rostered? I mean, they will both be high rostered. Basically, any player with a, a pulse and a bit of a name brand cachet is going to be popular. I think I think Michael Gallup would probably be slightly more popular than CD Lamb, given that, you know, if you were playing Lamb last week, you got burned specifically by the in-game injury. Even though, yeah. I, like, concussion is probably not one that is, like, in-game repetitive nearly as much as other injuries, I think Michael Gallup would be more popular. They'd both be popular, though, would be my guess. But if you said which one comes in on more rosters, I would say Gallup, if I had to guess. How popular, or is in my galaxy branding, because I think it's a very viable and winning strategy on this slate, how popular will playing Zeke and Tony Pollard together be? Not popular at all. I don't have any problems with it. I totally think you could do that. Like that is, it's the showdown brain. You know, it's the showdown strategy worming itself into you. But you do have to, I, I, that's correct. I think that is how you should be playing these slates. Like there will be plenty of dupe lamps. There will be ways where even if you're not duped, you are essentially building the exact same line. It functionally operates the same way. This will not. That's why you talk about double tight end. I have no problem playing it straight up especially late swapping to it because you know that is something that will let you eat up chunks of of points if you are down. I think this, uh, even though you will maybe won't know if you're down, really not a ton of players popular in that first game, but it will let you eat up chunks of points in a way that no one else really has access to or no one else chose to access. Not sure. It is 
a bit expensive. Like Pollard's not like your traditional 4,200 price backup or whatever. It's pretty expensive to tap into. So at that point, I feel like you almost have to, I feel like you have to play Cowboys defense at that point too. You assume they have to run a pretty incredible amount of plays because Zeke at 8K probably needs a multi-touchdown game. And then Pollard still needs to score once. So you need a lot of, a lot of time essentially for that to happen. With Tyron Smith on the field, Cowboys averaging over five yards per carry, just a better offense overall. And like with CD banged up, Noah Amari, it honestly, if we're painting like a narrative or trying to predict the game script, that's what it seems like, especially since the Raiders like haven't brought the juice the last three games without Henry Ruggs. In their first seven games, Derek Carr had only attempted fewer passes, 20 plus yards downfield than Lamar Jackson and Justin Fields. In the last three games, though, he's actually gone to 24th overall among quarterbacks in rate of his passes downfield, only completing four of 10 said throws. And so that's why I just worry about the explosiveness of the Raiders offense. And then we get the game script of, well, the Cowboys with Tyron Smith, we'll just run it down your throat, take 10 days off get CD and Amari back and call it an afternoon. So that's what I, where I kind of lean right now in a contrarian way around these games. Also leverage off of two very popular receivers, as we've already talked about. What are you thinking? Well, let's get to this really quick. Like we said at the beginning, Andrew, it's not too Lions heavy. Now, like personally, will I be able to swallow like three Lions? Will I be able to take that on in my lineups? I don't think I have the courage. But also like I'm not playing the Millie or anything like that. So if you are doing that, then of course it's not. And like we talked about, this is that's sort of the strategy you want in large fields in a three-game slate. There are no rules. If anything, like even in small fields, I'm trying to get four guys in. I'm trying to onslaught and get the correct offense going. Yeah, in small fields, that makes a ton of sense. And like, you know, you think like stacking. No, like straight up onslaught, like one quarterback – Three pass catchers could be a tight end, could be a running back as well. I don't think like running back plus quarterback is a setting a lot of people use in their optimizer. So that's one way to do it. And you can you could run zero back from the other side of the game, right? Or you could run two back from the other side of the game. If one of the game scores 37 to 30, that game will feature six players in the optimal lineup unless it's concentrated on like each team has like a guy who scores four touchdowns right so in small fields i love that and there's like a ton if you use optimizer or if you don't you wouldn't do this naturally anyways uh defense versus just an individual player totally fine like absolutely there is sure a small amount of negative correlation there but it is very likely the optimal lineup or at least is reasonably likely way more likely than the field will say features that and i would say you're being contrarian and just in picking not only jared goff but tj hawkinson and a, and a third receiver for the Lions as well. So yeah. if you want to be if you want to be on Amon Raw St. Brown, that's fine. But just know like you just pick the Lions' best receiver to go with Golf and Hawkinson, and you're naturally contrarian. So if it is AR, ARSB, that's cool. If you think it's Raymond, that's cool. Whatever it is, yeah, you'll naturally get there. So whichever receiver you think is best is definitely the way to approach it. Overall, though, Kyle, let's hear how you are handling Cowboys the most rostered offense on this slate. Yeah, I think like Raiders defense, even maybe Josh Jacobs are really interesting. As Karain noted in his Friday walkthrough, although this one's not quite on Friday, this does like the Raiders strangely do match up quite well. They generate pressure at one of the highest, the highest rate in the league. And they do so without actually blitzing. And that's something Dak eats up. He's just great at diagnosing those things and immediately finding the, the correct reads to his receivers. They do so without blitzing. They blitz at one of the lowest rates in the league. And we have seen in his past three games, it wouldn't be surprising for Dak to have a dud game, the dud versus Denver and the dud versus Kansas City. So I think because they're, I think this team has 
more outs to failure, especially if especially if Tony Pollard like got really steamed up. Just playing Zeke as an expensive option, I think Zeke isn't gonna be the most popular. I think will be the second most popular running back. I'd be fine eating that chalk if it kills off a lot of Dak Prescott lineups. If he actually rushes for over 100 scores twice, or Tony Pollard, I think both of the running backs are better plays, or just going Raiders defense. But either way, I'm not playing no no Cowboys. I'm not playing no Dak Prescott. But I would imagine I'll end up being more heavily invested in Andy Dalton versus the field and Josh Allen straight up by a very large margin than I will be with the Cowboys because I think they'll have top two receiver, top two quarterback, top two tight end. Yeah, top two tight end. And it's very, I think they have good paths to failure, much more reasonable paths to failure than a team like Buffalo does. I would also say since Josh Jacobs is our floor play, like we're getting there with the increased targets and routes run he's seen without Henry Ruggs, you could play Cowboys defense and Josh Jacobs as well. Just thinking like he's not going to score. You're only playing him to get 15 points, then get the hell out of there. So I'm totally fine Mm -hmm. with that strategy as well. You do bring up a good point. Gus Bradley even mentioned playing more press on third downs because that's how you would stump the Cowboys receivers rather than going, like you said, sending the house or even going zone so they can just run against you. So I could see the Cowboys struggling as well. You're going to need turnovers, of course, but who's to say the Cowboys are back just because Tyron Smith is back. So that makes sense a lot, and that will be even more so than the Lions because I could see like Lions and Swift making sense. I could see Bears making sense against Jared Goff or Tim Boyle, even though we expected to be Jared Goff. Raiders will be the lowest roster defense on the entire slate, undoubtedly. Yeah, and defense is like the one position we are like we are so accustomed to. Whether it's a small slate where you want to make weird contrarian decisions or a large slate where you're playing for points and not as much like non-dupe type strategies, really high leverage stuff. Defense is the one position we are always, we just preach every single week. Like just don't play the popular one. Ownership predicts defensive performance. Ownership predicts point performance at the defensive position worse than any other position we have in fantasy. It's just very clear that, I mean, it's decided by pick sixes and stuff. So, and if it's not decided, if the slate isn't decided by a pick six, it's because they all scored roughly the same amount of points. And then it just won't matter. Just play the cheapest one, play the cheaper ones. And the Raiders are not, you know, going to be as expensive as something like the Bills, right? So, I think just, I'm not as interested, I think, in as the passing game as the Cowboys, or the Cowboys passing game as the field will end up being. Like I already mentioned, I will not be playing Waller. I think it's, I think everyone's going to play Waller, thus you have to get off of him to win. I don't think I'll be playing the Cowboys passing attack either. I like pairing the two running backs and then correlating with the defense. Maybe not correlating with the defense, but getting off, maybe playing some Josh Jacobs. What do you think about pass catchers beyond Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro in maybe increased usage since we saw his routes to Sean Jackson increase from four to 10 in back-to-back games. Maybe he gets a little more in this game or even, you know, Zay Jones or Brian Edwards. Zay Jones lead the team in routes run the past three weeks, but it doesn't matter because Zay Jones and Brian Edwards have combined for six catches at 150 yards in the last three weeks. So who cares? These dang wind sprinters, all they're doing out here is running cardio. One last thing on TJ Hawkinson or on TJ Hawkinson versus Darren Waller. TJ Hawkinson has more 15-point games and as many games of 20 plus points and as many games of 25 plus points. I just remember that Darren Waller got there last week, right? Even though the sequencing of when they score, although you know, recent games have more relevance, the sequencing of how they scored is really what's biasing me towards saying TJ Hawkinson is a low ceiling player. Whereas he's hit the 20 and 25 point ceilings at the same rate as Darren Waller. So like, I I really think that you are very correct in that. And, you know, I have to kind of check my own bias there. Yeah. The Raiders pass catchers are tough because they just, they're the guys who have high, have high ceilings. They have high a dots and are on the field a lot. Just don't get targeted. Like you said, we have 
seen nothing but a complete lack of production from all of these guys. Deshaun Jackson most recently got a carry last week and did not get targeted. I mean, I, I guess the answer is probably like a, a small smattering of Zay Jones. Uh, spe- like, you know, any of them are fine. Zay Jones, because he runs the most routes, would be, I would guess, the better option. Like, there's not a ton of reason for me to be more interested in playing Lions pass catchers when I said, like, oh, yeah, you could throw in a, a Josh Reynolds who ran around on 96% of dropbacks last week and me not say the same argument with someone like Zay Jones. I, I don't have any strong opinions, although I do think generally on these slates, the the certainty of Hunter Renfro getting six or seven targets gets overweighted relative to the randomness of the more tertiary Marquise Goodwin type of players. So I generally think like just ownership skews a little bit too heavy on like mid tier, but nothing special plays. So I should probably end up having like more Zay Jones and even Jackson or, or Brian Edwards in the field and less of Hunter Renfro, arguably Darnell Mooney, depending on where his ownership comes in. And like Michael Gallup would be a sort of lower plays for me. And just to be clear before we move on, CeeDee Lamb active. And if that's the case, if and when that's the case, you still think Gallup comes in a little higher roster than CeeDee Lamb? He does. And for that reason, I'd probably one off a, a good chunk of CeeDee. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hulu is coming in hot this month with new shows, new movies, and all new seasons of your faves. Don't miss FX's Clipped, the story of one NBA team's racial reckoning, starring Lawrence Fishburne. Stream a new season of Shorzy, the underdog hockey comedy that might just knock your teeth out. Then catch the high-speed drama Ferrari, starring Adam Driver and Penelope Cruz. Kick your streaming into high gear this month with so much new stuff to watch on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lamb. Okay. That's where I'm kind of thinking at right now as well. And then again, if I'm leaving flex open after TG Hawkinson, or I have a cheap tight end in the morning slate in the morning game, then also I am considering like late swapping to double tight end pending how that next one goes. Cause I think Schultz is a, a great play, honestly, in its own right. Also in the next game, as we move on, like Dawson Knox is an amazing play too. So that's why I think like the three, the two tight ends are very viable in this small slate. Right now, we already talked about it. We think Ingram, if we have to lean one way, is out. Thus, it'd be Tony Jones. The Bills had no one on their injury report, but they're just completely good to go. Whereas the Saints will be missing not only perhaps Mark Ingram, but Kamara clearly out, left tackle Teron Armstead out, and then a Ryan, or no, Ryan Ramzik left tackle out, and then Teron Armstead also out. Yeah. Marcus Davenport, did he get ruled out as well? I'm not sure I could check on that. And on the other side, you didn't mention it because these are injured players, but you did talk about it earlier. And I saw from the Athletics, Joe Biscaglia said that he does project right now. His like projection is that Zach Moss doesn't come. Zach Moss doesn't play special teams and he's just not running the football well, whereas Brita actually looks electric. So like all signs, like multiple beat reporters, Biscaglia, a good reporter, a trustworthy one, say Zach Moss not going. But that is something 
I don't think it's something we'll get like the overnight Shafter bomb on. I do think we'll get that for like CD Lamb, but this game has really good late swap equity just in general because we have, I think Zach Moss will get ruled out an hour and a half before the game. I think it probably happens at a similar time with Mark Ingram because he does seem like this is an injury that he probably has to test throughout the day. Whereas CD Lamb, you know, he clears concussion protocol, he comes back as kind of closer to binary, right? I think we'll get that overnight. This game has really good late swap equity that I think you want to leave at a minimum a flex spot. I mean, you probably are using a flex spot for here anyway. Like, I probably want a running back spot. Like, I almost want one one running back of mine to play for the first two games and lock in one running back from this game because I think they will be far less popular than they should be just because we won't know until two games have started. And if, like, you don't play the Cowboys passing game and you find yourself buried because, like, Gallup, Dak, and CD go off – you're late swapping from Josh Allen to literally like Taysom Hill. You're getting the lowest equity of a two touchdown performer that we can possibly get. And so like, yeah, I will be switching everything to Taysom Hill, hoping my money comes back to me afterwards. But right now, knowing all that, where are you at with the Bills offense? Because I don't think it's good enough to play Josh Allen to Stephon Diggs. I think you need three of these guys at least. I think Cole Beasley's viable. I think all three, Diggs, Beasley, and Dawson Knox is viable. I think skinny stacking Knox and Allen together while also playing like one of the late swapped running backs like Brita and Devin Singletary is just fine. Hoping one of them scampers in for a passing touchdown. But overall, yeah, where are you at with the Bills defense right now? Yeah, playing on a normal slate. I generally thought this was like a, a weak option to just play Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen, but I think it especially made sense when you started getting Stephon Diggs as really unpopular. That won't be the case on this slide. I do think if you're playing Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, you've almost certainly made like a negative EV lineup because that is the cheap or that is the cheap. That is the, the boilerplate way. It's not cheap. That's the boilerplate way that everyone's going to build their Josh Allen, the most popular quarterback lineups. They won't be nearly as likely to just add the second one, and they will be far less likely to add the third one. And we know they basically have, you know, we saw Gabe Davis's role scaled back again as Cole Beasley. I assume he's just getting like his health is waning and waxing from this rib injury, but it was back to about a 70% of the routes last week. Yeah. Not a full-time, full-time player, but closer to what we saw for the nine snaps two weeks ago. And that alone puts him in, in play for 10 targets and a potential touchdown. He even hit the hundred yard bonus a few weeks ago. So double, even triple stacking Josh Allen, perfectly fine. I think especially it's probably fine. I don't even know if you should, I think you should still at least minimum two of his pass catchers, even if Diggs isn't involved just because for Josh Allen at his price, he does need to surpass the other quarterbacks by a pretty significant chunk of points. And that almost certainly only happens via throwing to more than one receiver. If you know, it's not Stephon Diggs. Diggs gets enough of the offense that we could like the two touchdowns last week, right? That could happen. I don't think Sanders alone is enough to like his success does not 100% ensure that Josh Allen is also in the optimal lineup. Josh Allen's success though, does probably mean he brought multiple receivers with him. So any sort of double, even triple stack of Josh Allen, I think will probably be my most popular way to build a roster. And I don't think many people are going to play Cole Beasley since He's had, you know, 14 and percent target share in seven full games with Dawson Knox has been very underwhelming. His prop was at 46 and a half receiving yards has already dropped down to 41. And I'm not even seeing Beasley's a good play, but I think I'm going to play him anyways, because he's a GPP bro play. He is a high floor option, in my opinion, 
on a slate where everyone's going to overlook him despite being a possession receiver. So even if we get like five catches for 60 yards, that goes a long way in this miserable three-game slate, especially if you're trying to catch up or leverage off of you know Gallup in the same range. So I still like Beasley a lot with Diggs and uh, Allen. Also, just the fact that I wonder how much Brian Dable took in that Jalen Hurts was very successful with a season high, 18 carries, running the ball. Four of those 18 carries went for a first down to just move the chains. So I wonder if we get some some over and like Josh Allen rushing props. Also, just Josh Allen having a high rushing floor to begin with. That could be enough if the Cowboys go run heavy or Andy Dalton doesn't hit it all. So like even just taking Allen as like a safe play, hoping everyone else fails with his options, like even their floors could get there easily in this game. Yeah, I just noticed that on the screen, we have the Saints tight ends. Do you think people play a decent amount of Jawan Johnson? Because he is actually like the third steamy option. Everyone talks about Jawan Johnson because in the, the preseason and leading up to the season throughout training camp, he did get a lot of buzz. He's a former wide receiver as a potential weapon for this team. And he was actually somewhat involved in the offense. At least he was on the field sort of in a Donald Parham-esque limited role, mostly catches a few passes on a few snaps type of way. But in the past three games, they've healthy scratched him twice. Now, obviously, he's been, it's not like he doesn't know the offense. They can just plug him back in and he could run 25 or 30 routes right away. Do you think he's at all popular? Because he's a player I've heard brought up on a lot of shows. And if he's going to be like, he's like the John Bates, right? I don't think he's the most popular play, but like John Bates, third string tight end on a bad offense. I was fine Xing him out last week. Jawan Johnson would be that level of play for me if he gets like over even 10%. And what Kareem pointed out to me was uh, Bates came in just like a 4% anyways. Like no one no one played him. He just got forgotten by the entire slate. And Cole Komet instead became, as we talked about in the Sunday yeah. recap show, just awful chalk. So that, I don't, I generally don't know. Maybe he doesn't get steamed up, honestly. And he's also good because if you leave Tony Jones in the flex, you can just late swap to uh, Juwan Johnson, who's 1,200 cheaper. So like, and again, leaving salary like around 1,000, 1,500 on the table in this slate, like totally... Totally fine. Three game slate, you could leave salary on the table, especially if in that last game, if you're late swapping, because it just doesn't matter since you know what what you have to do in order to take down the tournament by the time the third game kicks off anyway. So yeah, I actually now that you now that we talk about it and think about it, I don't think Juwan Johnson comes in too popular. And I again I think it's totally fine. You can play him as a flex option with another tight end if need be. Cause he I believe he has more upside than Traquan Smith or like Deontay Harris, these other guys that people will probably try and play. You think he has more upside than those guys? I, I well, we've already seen him score two touchdowns. Whereas I think I think Traquan Smith in this matchup has the highest floor among the Saints receivers, but I, I genuinely just don't know if he has two touchdowns. I think I would guess that I would say both Callaway and maybe Traquan Smith. I mean, Callaway is running a route on four out of five of his team's mm -hmm. pass plays. He's clearly a number one receiver, albeit he's not fit to be a number one. He doesn't score like a number one, and his team isn't really that good in supporting receiver play. So when I say he's a number one receiver, a lot of caveats to that. I would just generally think that that the receivers who we can comfortably project to play the bulk of the team's snaps would have higher ceilings. It is a little hair splitty, especially because Juwan Johnson, a former receiver himself, should be used less as a traditional tight end when he's on the field. I think, but I think if you are like I am anticipating a pretty, I mean, you're playing your lineups as if the Bills are going to put up a lot of points. As we saw last week, when the opponent puts up a lot of points, there's at least good potential for the, you know, the back, especially the back dorks. I, I think 
the Saints aren't very good under Trevor Simeon, but there is a lot of potential for them to at least put up garbage time points, which is ideally what you'd want just to keep Buffalo passing at a reasonably high rate, not completely take to the ground. And they have a pretty condensed rotation in terms of especially Callaway and Traquan Smith. Deontay Harris is still a part-time player who plays special teams, but I think Callaway, Traquan Smith are both a pretty interesting run back GPP options that will probably get lost amid Michael Gallup, Hunter Renfro, Darnell Mooney. They will come in so less popular than them. But my bill stacks say that the game is probably a good scoring environment. If you've already made that assumption within your lineup, I would think you'd probably want to have the relatively low owned for a game or for a slate of three games, the low owned Callaway slash Traquan Smith. Traquan Smith, I believe over the past two games has seen 15 targets as well. As you said, there are maybe high, I don't want to say high floor options, but are they that lower floor than Hunter Renfro? And are they, or is their ceilings better? I, I kind of think their ceiling might be better. Their floor certainly within the same ballpark, lower admittedly. Ingram also has 15 targets the past two games in place of Kamara. So if he's out, those go to Tony Jones. Thus, I think not only Tony Jones is a touch-based option that hopefully everyone doesn't leave enough salary for to late swap to, I think you can play the Bills defense against him as well, hoping just like Josh Jacobs, he gets those catches. And unlike Jacobs, like there's no Kenyon Drake or the Saints, they won't give Dwayne Washington targets. They'll just give all that to Tony Jones, presumably. So I think that's a perfectly fine way to play this as well. Like three Bills, Bills defense, and Tony Jones. Yeah, absolutely. I think Mark Ingram doesn't end up being that popular because we won't know. And especially, ideally what happens is Mark Ingram, not that popular. People use up their running back slots and then he's ruled out. Meaning you get like, what would you think if Mark Ingram was ruled out, you know, middle, whatever, like closer to the end of the Dallas game or whatever. That game's locked, obviously, so it doesn't matter what time. But Mark Ingram is ruled out an hour and a half exactly in actives. What do you think Tony Jones roster ship is? I would guess like he's well under 20%. People just like in a large field, in a in the play action, a $3.20 max. I think he's less than 20%. Yeah. And he would have going into the yeah. slate at his price have been 60%. Like he would have been the, the chalky, he would have been the most chalky play of the slate because of his price. And we assume he takes on the bulk of the marking and roll. He's the reason they were able to cut Latavius Murray, who had been the longtime backup to Alvin Kamara, because they were confident in saying Tony Jones is the clear backup. And then he played that role for the first four weeks. He was involved in the offense strictly as a backup, but in a way that the backup to Kamara typically gets used. So I think he will, like you said, he'll get the targets. He'll get the vast majority of the carries. He would be a player worth going like 60 plus percent on at his price just normally and that like i would probably i'm probably trying to get him into every single lineup because he would be so low owned relative to his optimal ownership that that's an edge i would want to push very hard yeah yeah that's kind of where my thoughts are going to i would just make sure you build with mark ingram in your lineup first knowing you can swap to tony and like the 2200 again three game slate doesn't matter the whole point is to get the saints running back in there not even to get the Saints running back. The whole point is to make sure you are on that position that you're hoping the field is not on at all because they're not building it into your lineup. So yes, you're building with Mark Ingram, Noman. You can swap to Tony Jones. If you play Tony Jones, no big deal if you're building with that because you want to get the salary saved to begin with. I would also just make sure you leave 800 more on the table to swap to Matt Breida in case Ingram is available. So you have both of those options going for you, and that's how you should play the last game no matter what happens. That's how you should build your lineups tonight is knowing those two, Ingram to Tony or Tony, save the salary, to Matt Breida, who's 800 higher on DraftKings.
Yeah, or if you have Tony in the flex, leave 400 and swap to Traquan Smith or whatever, you know, swap to Cole Beasley, leave 500, right? There are flex options you could go with as well. You know, even if you, yeah, like you said, you want to start with Tony Jones, just have a 2v2 way to swap or even a 1v1, you know, it's no no problem going from Tony to Traquan or Tony to Beasley, but have that type of 1v1 slash 2v2 in mind. With that, any other thoughts, overarching thoughts on this slate before we get out of here? Not ready to talk about Sunday. There will be an article on Sunday slate overnight Friday after we get injury reports Saturday morning I'll update it as well but I'll do a DFS article for Sunday but overarching thoughts on this three game slate I think you probably want to go heavier than the field on a lot of the sub five percent plays which would be like Matt Breida not sure if Marquis Goodwin's there but he's around there you know the sub 10 percent even would qualify like a, a Traquan Smith a Marquez Callaway Cole Beasley will probably be a little above that but I just think that the ownership is going to be far too stratified where people are well overconfident that there are three viable running back plays and only two good quarterback plays and the best tight end of the slate is so much better than the rest of them whereas i think like the fact that there are three games will really sort of force that into the way people are playing and we know football is a highly variant sport touchdowns are very hard to control for they can go to anyone like if tommy sweeney scores twice i will be upset but not awfully surprised so not saying play tommy sweeney just to hammer home the point that football's random Ownership seems to think there is more of a predictability to it. So I'll be playing probably very high variance, as I think you should on small slates that essentially function like showdown slates. Makes total sense. Yeah, I would just keep in mind those thoughts on the last game, not to mention taking CD Lamb down to the wire. But yeah, with that, I think that's about it for this one. Quick, easy and out. So good luck tomorrow. Enjoy the holidays. Again, we'll be back with an article Friday, not a show. But for the start sits questions you have, we can always be here for you noon Eastern on Sunday morning presented by Applebee's. So join into that and we will answer your start set questions then. Until then, good luck tomorrow. Enjoy the holidays. Have a good time. Take some time off. Whatever you need to do. Either way, hopefully you win one for all of us. So see you later. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, essential plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.